Guys, get your Bibles, open them up to the book of Joshua this morning, the book of Joshua. As Chuck said, we are, we are uh, seven days into 28 days of prayer. Our theme verse for this campaign comes from Joshua chapter 5. We're actually going to be in Joshua chapter 1. We spend the next two weeks just looking at this, uh, this story of breaking into God's promises. I love this story. I feel like I'm kind of like a, a, a one-note trumpet. That seems like that's all I talk about is like this idea of moving into God's promises. How do we, how do we break through? I've been living in the book of Exodus for such a long time in my life. Several reasons for that. Um, one of those is because Exodus is a snapshot of the entire heart of God, of what he wants to do in you, in your life, and in your family. And it's amazing. I was thinking, like, I'm sitting there listening to announcements. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, this is the, cra- this is the foolishness of God. So we're looking at a book of a story that's like 1,500 years old, perusing it, you know, line by line, tiny detail by tiny detail. It's like the rest of the world would look at that and say, are you out of your mind? That's ancient history. It probably didn't even happen, Right? But I'm convinced that it did happen. I'm convinced that God has revealed himself in human history and he's still revealing himself in human history. Um, so a, I want to give you just a tiny bit of background to this as before we, we're just going to be in the first chapter of Joshua. Um, and next week we'll, we'll fast forward a couple chapters. A little bit of this. Um, the heart of God, by the way, I believe this, the heart of God for, for, for you and for King's Church is to free you and release you to be a blessing to the world. That's, that's, that's what he wants. That's his desire for anyone is to fix you up, right? To free you, to get you out of your mess, to empower you, to release you to be a blessing to the world. We see that all the way from the very beginning in, in Genesis chapter 12. We see it all the way in Jesus' ministry. He says, you're the, you're the, you're the salt of the earth. You're a city set on a hill. That's his desire for King's Church. He wants us to be released so that we can be a blessing to the world, which means we're agents of reconciliation. That means we're pulling people together. We're pulling people out of darkness and bringing them into the light. And a tangible picture of of that light, a tangible picture of the promise that God wants to, to move people into is seen in the book of Exodus. We call it the promised land. Another term is Canaan, Canaan land, right? And it's, it's actually a place in the Middle East. I want to pull up a map here. I don't get to do maps very often. So flip over to this one. This is a, um, I'm hoping I've got, I do have it. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Right. Um, so a tangible picture, I'll get to this in a little bit, but sort of this, this geographical area here, this little bit of real estate is, is a tangible picture of, 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 of God's promise. Doesn't look like much. Some of you have been there. I've never been there. One day I want to go. But basically, he brings them out of Egypt. If you know your history, God, God's people are stuck in slavery, in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. God raises up a man named Moses. Moses brings them out, let my people go. All the plagues, all the stuff, brings them out of the Red Sea. He's moving them into this promised land. It's going to be a land of, of, of total freedom. And the Bible tells us that, 
this first generation, this generation that was in slavery, that was in captivity, the ones who followed Moses out, they made their way sort of all the way across the desert. They're standing on the, the forefront of God's promises. And we know that through the series of events, they had a failure to break into God's promises. They chose to say no to the hard work of claiming God's promises. They got scared, right? They'd seen God's hand. They get there. They send in their, their reconnaissance team. Their reconnaissance team comes back and says, yeah, it's a beautiful land. It's milk. There's honey. You know, whatever milk and honey means, I guess that's a good thing. And they come back, but there's giants and there's walls. And basically this whole generation of people say, we can't do it. No, thank you. And God allows them then to live in that choice and they sort of stumble around without a home. They can't go forward. They can't go back. What do we do? We walk in circles for 40 years. And eventually that generation gets old and dies out now. Their sons and their daughters are raised up and they're going to have another opportunity to make this choice. Mom and dad couldn't choose it now. You know, junior, sons and daughters, they get their own chance. Can we claim God's promises for ourselves? So can we, can we trust God? And, and honestly, I think about this. It's every generation has to make that determination. Those of you that are parents, you know, you know how, those of you that are believers, you know how meaningful your own spiritual life is and you wish that you could just like, you know, take that and, and put it in all of your kids. And you, you, you do that in, in, in a large measure through discipleship, through prayer, through, you know, just raising them up. But at some point, all of your children have to make that decision for themselves. Do I trust who God is and what he says? And if I say no, my life is going to go this way. If I say yes, my life is going to go that way. Moms and dads, we can't choose that for our children. We can sort of model that for them and point them in the right, right direction. But this generation has to de determine, can we trust God to do what is good? And so this, we're not going to go to the book of Deuteronomy, but the book of Deuteronomy is basically this a pep talk. It's one large pep talk getting the second generation ready. And Moses says, let me tell you guys, there's some terrible mistakes that your parents made. You get another chance. Let me recount all the incredible things that God has done in the recent years, in, in, in our lifetime. And he tells them all these incredible stories. And now he says, you've got a chance to move in and make this your own. Okay, so a little bit of background with my with my chart. I, I like charts and I don't get to do them very often. So where, when Joshua chapter 1 opens up, I'm supposed to stay here. Sorry guys on the camera. When Joshua chapter 1 stands up or, or opens up rather, God's people are living in this area, sort of in this wilderness called Mount Sinai. I need a laser pointer. If I had a laser pointer, all the cats in the neighborhood would come flooding in. <laughs> <laughs> So if you see like this little, if you look at the word Philistia and go straight down that little triangle peninsula, that's the Sinai Peninsula. That's kind of the general desert where God's people have been wandering around for 40 years. Their aim is this little green patch that goes from the river up to the top of the screen down to, oh, we lost it. It's good. All right. And this area right there kind of on this coast is, is we, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very much a fertile land and sort of historians have always considered that this is the crossroads of civilization. Here's why. 
Because on both sides of this, down in Egypt, you've got a pretty powerful civilization. This is in Moses' time. You've got a pretty powerful civilization of the Egyptian sort of dynasty. And there's all kinds of incredible things happening there. There's, there's religion. There's war. There's, tr- there's trade. There's education. There's all kinds of things. People all over the world have heard of the, the, the civilization of Egypt. Far off the screen, sort of up here to the top right, are a, a sort of another cluster of civilizations, the Mesopotamians and the Sumerians and others who are sort of becoming, uh, you know, just growing in their own right and becoming people of influence. That's really where human history, honestly, where human civilization started, was there up in Mesopotamia, a little bit farther up north. So you have these two areas, two powerful civilizations, lots of people, lots of incredible things happening, and sort of down here on the bottom right, if you look at the word kingdom Israel and head right, that's all sort of unnavigable wilderness. There's really not a lot of places to live. So if you want to travel from, say, Egypt to Mesopotamia, you're walking through this nice patch of real estate right there on the coast. In fact, that's exactly what would happen. There would be trade routes. There would be, you know, a, a lot of shipping, a lot of incredible things happening right there in the middle, sort of like right on this crossroads of two civilizations. And God in his wisdom says, it's going to be right there at that crossroads that I'm going to plant my people and birth my nation. It's not random. God didn't just find some random. He didn't roll a dice and say, where shall I put the people? This was all very intentional. He knew that he wanted his people to influence all the nations around him. So he places them right there. Sort of, he wants to place them right there in this fertile crescent. There, the kingdom of, uh, sort of in that, that, that area uh, between the ocean and the Rift Valley. Rift Valley is this crack in the earth's crest that runs along, um, sort of it almost divides the entire continent of Africa. It runs along uh, Jordan River all the way down into Africa. So uh, that area, Rift, uh, the fertile land is occupied. By the time of Joshua opens up, that land is currently occupied by some people. It's not, it's not just free for the taking. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of city-states, a lot of cities we're going to run into, a lot of small armies, little chieftains here, little tribes there. So Israel, though, knows, okay, we're going to claim God's promise. We're going to meet some resistance. How do we get there? They want to try the most direct route. They want to go straight from the west, heading up to, into that area. And I need my laser pointer. I don't have it. So they try that, and we can sort of read a little bit of that story. They try that some. They're going to meet resistance. They're going to sort of run into some armies and say, no, you're not coming in here. And so they have to, by God's sovereignty, they've got to do sort of a, 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 a roundabout. They've actually got to come south, curl around the Dead Sea, come up to the other side, this, this eastern side of the Dead Sea, and then sort of make this almost like this big 180 all the way around, and then come over, cross the Jordan River again, and get into their promises. Did I totally lose you? Okay. So the easiest way isn't working. So they've got to go sort of all the way around, come in from the back door, and then we're going to see what happens. Okay. So they meet resistance. They've got to enter from the east. So this is Israel's strategy, by the way. Flip up to the next one here. Uh, Joshua's strategy, their strategy is this. They're going to enter, as I said, go to that next slide if it's available there. They're going to come in from the east not going to come up this way. They've got to come all the way around, and they've got to cross the Jordan. The Bible tells us that they've got to cross the Jordan during the flood season. How many of you have been to, anybody been to Israel? A couple of you have been, to, and you've seen the Jordan River, depending on what time of the year you've been. When it's not in flood season, tell me if I'm wrong, depending on where you are in the Jordan, when it's not flood season, 
there are parts of the Jordan that are barely a trickle. I mean, it's like, it's almost a crick, right? I mean, there ain't much to it. But during flood season, the Jordan River is almost impassable. It's just large and full of water and water that's just moving, you know, millions of just going on, racing their way south to the Dead Sea. The Bible says that that they're going to cross the Jordan River during the flood season. I love how God makes things difficult on purpose. It's like, really? Come on, God. Six months earlier, this would have been easy. We just like take off our shoes and walk. And God says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to make this really challenging for you. So they're going to come in from the east. They're going to cross that Jordan River just on the other side of the, of the Jordan River. For a stone's throw is this city called Jericho. It's one of the city-states there in the area. It is, a, it is a formidable city. It is a walled fortress. It is impenetrable. It's difficult for, for seasoned warriors to take this, yet alone a people that have no experience whatsoever in any kind of warfare. But this is going to be their strategy. Joshua's leading the way. Moses is gone. Joshua's now leading the way. And he says one city at a time, they're going to take, they're going to capture and occupy one city at a time. After Jericho, there'll be another city called Ai. After Ai, there's another one. And one by one, over a series of a number of years, slowly they will occupy all of the cities of Canaan and establish their own place in that land. So the book of Joshua then, it it really wastes no time getting to the heart of the matter. This second generation is called to move into God's promises. I want to sort of tell you how this begins. I want to read chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Moses is now gone. Moses was the leader of all leaders, right? It reminds me of, uh, you remember those of you that are, that are this old, that, that period in history where President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. Suddenly, obviously unexpected, dies there at the hospital. And Lyndon B. Johnson is, is sworn in as acting president. And you can actually go and visit. I've stood in the plane. It's, it's at um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base just up in Dayton, Ohio. You can stand in that plane where that famous photo was taken. You know, where, where, where his hand is on the Bible, surrounded by people, surrounded by press. LBJ is putting his hand on the Bible, is being sworn in at an emergency session to take over as President of the United States of America. It's a powerful thing. I wonder if, sort of, if Joshua sort of feels the same weight, the same uncertainty, like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
Moses, God, you're the, Mo, Moses is the one that God called, not me. But here he is, and God speaks to Moses, says, listen, you know, I'm going to accomplish what I promised. As I was with Moses, so I, will, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so the, sort of this, this lesson here in, in, in Joshua chapters you know, 1, 2, and 3, God is really calling his people to get ready for something big, get ready for something to happen. Prepare, prepare themselves for his promises. So God knows, though, that even before he sort of, you know, before he gives them the promises, he's got to prepare the people. Before he provides the land, he's got to prepare the person. And I think about that in my own life. There's so many things that I know, you know, I, I look back in history and I, and, and I wish in my own life things could have happened a lot quicker than they did. But I realized in so many times that God just had to get me ready. There was a land that was there, but I wasn't ready for it. I, I wasn't ready for the promises that he had for me. I wasn't ready for the kind of responsibilities that I thought I wanted. And there's still a work that needed to happen in me. So I just want us to look here in this first chapter, that's all, through the text and see what insights can we get? What insights can we take away from how the people are preparing to move into this? You know, we love, we love to sort of, you know, talk about the walls of Jericho. Yay, that's awesome. It's, we're going to get there. We're going to get there next week, right? But if we forget there's a lot of stuff that God needs to sort of instill in them before they march around that city 13 times. He doesn't just say, get up and go. He says, no, you need to, you need to prepare yourself. So let's just look at three. How is God calling us to get ready? Let me give you three ways. And I want you to apply this sort of to, to your own. I want to allow the Spirit to apply this to your own life. I know that there are some promises that He's given to you. There's a greater measure of, 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 uh, of just encounter with the Lord, a greater measure of responsibility, a greater measure of anointing a greater measure of freedom that he has given you a vision for in your own heart and mind. I know that. He's done the same thing for me. But I can't help but feel like the Lord is saying, if you want this, if you want my promises to be unfulfilled in your life and in your family, get ready for that. Prepare. And get ready doesn't mean just hang on, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like when you got a roller coaster, all you're doing is hanging on. There's not much else you can do. There's a little bit more to it than that. Prepare ourselves. And we, our, 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 our key verse, Joshua 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders in your midst consecrate means to set apart to set apart for a unique purpose to stop and to sort of take a good inventory and say all right God I know what you're calling me to do how what 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 ready position do I need to be in what do you need to do in me in my life in my heart in my mind in my attitudes in my emotions in my ambitions in my habits in my relationships what do you need to move around so that I can fully move into the promises that you have for me? You guys with me? So here's one. This is an easy one. Three ways. Number one is we cultivate strength and courage in the Lord. Cultivate. I love that word cultivate. You guys gardeners? Anybody gardeners here? Lands like people? Isn't cultivate just like the best word ever? You know, it's just, it's so, it has all these meanings of like, you know, you're, you're, you're digging it up and you're breaking it up. You're adding some good stuff into it. You know, you're covering it over in the right season. You're opening it. I just love this idea of, of cultivating. So those are, those are my action words for all three of these. Cultivate strength and courage in the Lord. 
So verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead them, the people, to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7, this is the law of repetition, those of you that know inductive Bible study. The law of repetition says that the more something is repeated, what? Pay attention. All right? Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. On, on, go on down to verse 18. Be, he ends this, only be strong and courageous. Why, why do you think God feels the need to say that to Joshua? Because everything in him is feeling the opposite way. God knows when he speaks to us, he knows that he is addressing probably something inside of us that wants to run the other direction. And if I'm Joshua, I'm wanting to run the other direction. I am not qualified for this. I am not cut out for this. God, I didn't get a burning bush experience. I didn't say yes to you there in the wilderness. But God says, but I've called you and appointed you, Joshua, for my purposes. And it's time for you, son, daughter, be strong and take up courage. Encourage yourself. He says this again and again and again. I think about my children. I think about my son, Cohen. You know him. <laughs> Cohen is relatively fearless. And your sons and daughters, if they're seven, eight years old, maybe younger, are relatively fearless. Occasionally, my son will get a little bit afraid of something. But what's interesting is that anytime there's something uncertain that he's about to do, you know, if he wants to climb or do something else, if I come up to him and stand right there, if I'm within proximity of him, it's amazing, like he, he finds this new sense of strength and new sense of courage if he knows that dad is right there watching and waiting. And I guess uh, we're the same way, right? We're fearless, we're courageous when God is with us. And I think that's, that's how we cultivate strength. Look, there's so, there's so many places it says that here. Do not be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. How do we do that? Because we've cultivated this, this awareness for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And, and we, we, sort of, we tend to sort of move past that we forget that idea we i don't know we just don't live in that reality where we're we're convinced that wherever we go god is with us god is in us god is marking out our steps how beautiful would that be wouldn't you love to know that wouldn't you love to know whatever whatever decision you're making if god says look i promise i've already got the path marked out i know where you're going i know what's going to happen be strong. Take a breath, son. Take a breath, daughter. It's going to be okay. You can be strong in this. You can be courageous. Because why? Because we're doing this together. That's what, that's what God is saying to Joshua. We're going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to quit. This is my battle to fight. Joshua, I know, Joshua, I know that you don't see where you're going. I know that you don't see how this is going to happen. I know, Joshua, you're, you're staring at the rushing waters of the Jordan River at flood stage. And you're wondering, how in the world are we getting across? We have no boats. We have no lumber to build, to build bridges. Most of us can't swim. 
right? We've been in the wilderness for 40 years. I know that you're staring at the silhouette of the walls of Jericho thinking there's no way. God says, Joshua, I know that everything inside of you is saying this is a bad idea. But listen to me, son. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't act out of your fear. Why? Because I'm with you. We're going to cross this together. We're going to go over the river together. We're going to go up to Jericho together. We're going to claim this land together. And that's life-changing for him. And it's life-changing for us. For the Lord your God is with you. How do we cultivate strength? We have this awareness of God's presence. Just grow, cultivate this awareness of God's presence in your life. Practice it. Practice being in the presence of God. Do you know you can do that? You can grow in your awareness of God's presence. It's not just random. It's not just haphazard. It doesn't just happen whenever a great song comes in on the radio. You can cultivate and grow in your awareness of God's presence. Not just your intellectual awareness, in your felt presence of God. You can grow and cultivate that in your own life. Somebody say amen. Come on. I've seen it. I've experienced it. As I've just said yes to God, and I slowly began to say yes to Him more, more of your presence, I would slowly begin to say no to things like, okay, this is a distraction. This is pulling me away. I want to listen to I want to soak in this. I want to soak in this truth. I want to soak in the Word. The more that I do that, the more that I find that my heart is just tuned to the frequency of His presence. I know many of you are there. We can cultivate this. And the more that we're aware of God's presence, the more that we find ourselves full of His strength, full of His courage, ready to go. It's not artificial. It's not artificial. We're not just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. It's this radical conviction that anything God calls us to do, we can do it. Why? Because He's right here with us as we're moving forward. So that's the first thing. Cultivate strength and courage in the Lord. Second one is this. Cultivate a lifestyle of, yes, Lord. The two best words in the English language. Do you remember uh, probably 15 years ago, there was a best-selling book came out called The Secret. Do you guys remember that? Some of you probably have it on your bookshelves. It was such a, it was like this kind of like little slightly new agey book, maybe more than, sli- than slightly. You know, kind of like this like cryptic cover with like this wax seal and this old-timey looking font. And it was a raging bestseller. You know, sort of having all of these hidden secrets to experiencing this incredible life. I've decided that if I'm going to write a book, my book is going to be really easy. I'll probably will call it something like The Secret too. You know, I may get sued for copyright infringement, but hey, that's it. You know, and, and the subtitle will be something like, you know, how, how to live in God's fullest promise and blessing for your life. It's a long subtitle. <laughs> you ready? It's going, to be, it's going to sell, it's going to be like $15.99, $10.99 on Amazon. I'll give you a discount on it. It's going to have one page inside. And on that page are going to be two words. Yes, Lord. It's not that complicated. Obedience brings blessing. All the time. Obedience brings blessing.
Let's read what I'm talking about, by the way. Chapter, or, or, chapter 1, verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. There it is again. Here we go. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something, Joshua. All that, all, all that instruction that Moses gave you, it is essential for your survival. Don't forget it. Don't get off course. It's your survival guide. It's not just random rules because I'm just a mean, vindictive God who wants to have fun with you. I promise. These are your instructions for surviving in a very hostile world. I'm telling you. And it goes on to say, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate. That Hebrew word is mumble, murmur. You ever you see people walking around talking to themselves? You know, Meg thinks I do that sometimes. She's like, are you talking to me? No, I'm talking to myself. Mumble on this. Meditate. Just murmur this out loud. God says, let it always be on your lips. Always be on your lips. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, y'all say then, this cause and effect. Here's the effect. Then you will be prosperous. Somebody say amen. And successful. Who wants to be prosperous and successful? Come on, y'all. It's not, it's not unspiritual to raise your hand. It's okay. I want to be prosperous and successful in all the ways that God wants me to be prosperous and successful. I want that. I want to live a full life, full of joy and blessing. I want to be blessed. I want to bless other people. And God says, the key to this is to walk in obedience to my word. Practice saying, yes, Lord. Practice that. And God directs this to the leadership. Notice that he says this to the leadership first. Joshua, you need to know, you need to model this. You need to learn to lead the way in this. If you fail at this, the people don't have a hope. Moms and dads, leaders of your families. It depends upon you to cultivate this. Yes, Lord. Learn it. Teach it to your kids. Model that in your homes. Whatever God says to do, we do it. It's one of Meg's favorite verses in John chapter 3. Is that right, John? Wedding of Cana, 3 or 4? Mary says to the servants, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. It's just like, just like it's like, she hasn't, it's like, whatever. Hey, 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 listen, he's his, own, he's his own person, but whatever he says to do, you better do it. I love that. Whatever God says to you to do, we say, yes, Lord. You'll be prosperous and successful. And he bookends that again with be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. So cultivate. Cultivate a lifestyle of yes, Lord. Third one is this. You guys bear with me here. Thank you. I know we're running a little bit. Third one is this. Cultivate a commitment to community. And here's where this comes from. Jump on to verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, 
the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, so he's addressing a few of the people, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all of your fighting men ready for battle must cross over and help your fellow Israelites. So here's what's happening with that. If we can flip back to our, to our map super quick. I want to take a bit, just, a, just a, a couple seconds on that, if you guys can go back. So when all the people were sort of wandering around in this area, when they had come around to this eastern side, several of the tribes discovered how beautiful that land was. And they said, Moses, listen, this is a pretty decent little piece of real estate right here. It's green. You know, there's, there's oasis, there's wells, there's places. What if, Moses, what if we just sort of let our inheritance be here? Do we really have to cross over to that western side of the Jordan? And Moses says, well, you know what? I guess it's fine because the Lord said, all this land is ours. So sure, you tribes, you can have this land on the east side of the Jordan. And the rest, of, the rest of your brothers will cross over to the west side of the Jordan and claim their land. So this is what happens. And so Joshua goes and he says, by the way, you folks who have already staked your claim, don't forget the promise that you've made. This is yours, but still you have an obligation to help us get ours on the other side of the river. In other words, this is not time for you to quit. We are a community. We are a family. No one stops until we all stop. No one rests until we all rest. No one is done until we're all done. So he says that you are, verse 14, you are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. I love this. I love this. Moses is coming in and saying, don't, don't get complacent yet. I know you've gotten your inheritance, but your brothers and sisters haven't gotten their inheritance yet. Help them get it. Help them claim their promise. Stand with them in community until they have claimed what God has for them as well. Help them until the Lord gives them rest as he's done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, says Joshua, go back and occupy your own land. I love that. We stand as one. God's people stand. We've been praying for that. We pray for that on Wednesday. Unify us. Make us one. And there, even now, even as we're standing on the brink of promise, God reminds the people, you must be committed to being a community of faith. Fight for one another. There's power, the power of community and bringing out the promises of God. This is why I love coming to church. There's power in this. We share our struggles. We share our victories. We share our frustrations. And it's easy to be in proximity but not be in relationship. We can be near one another but not really be in relationship with one another. I can tell you, that's not what God wants either. He doesn't just want a room filled with people, though, that are not truly vulnerable and invested with one another. Prepare yourself for a move of God in your life by saying to someone else, I'm in the fight with you. And if you don't feel like anybody is in the fight with you, 
take that step and turn it around. Go to somebody. Go to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I'm in the fight with you. Whatever you're going through, I'm in the fight with you. Your struggle is my struggle. Your victory is my victory. And so this chapter ends with those five words, only be strong and courageous.